Well, this has been an exciting week for our family. Um, after five and a half years of uh, hard work, uh, while she's had a uh, full-time job as a principal, uh, my wife finished her, let me show you the picture here. Uh, she is, uh, can you bring it up here? She's on the one on the left. Uh, she finished her doctorate degree this week, so I'm really, really proud of her. And um, her, her, uh, her school and the kids at her school decorated her office, and uh, uh, she said, hands down, the best congratulations came from Jacob. I think he's a first grader. Let me show you this picture. Dear Dr. Jones, congratulations for getting your first part of your name churned into Dr. Jones instead of Mrs. Jones. <laughs> so, I thought that was sweet. I'm, I'm excited for two reasons. Number one, I get to cook a whole lot less. Um, I'm not a very good cook, but uh, uh, as a way of just saying, hey, congratulations, you did it. Um, I surprised her with, uh, and we've not been to a game together, with uh, Cowboys tickets for tonight. And so... Um, she's very excited. She did ask the question, is this more of an us gift than it is? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Uh, but it's been interesting as I'm looking forward to getting to go to the game tonight. Some of you are old pros at this. Um, how excited I am about this. I started thinking about, well, this is on a Sunday. Do, how excited do I get on a regular basis to go to church? And I have to be just absolutely honest, sometimes I am, sometimes I'm just absolutely excited, and other times I'm like, meh, you know, and I kind of, why, why is that the case? Why is it that I can fluctuate so much, be so excited about it one week, and then another week it will just dissipate? I think it comes from me, I can only speak for me. I see myself sometimes in the person of Simon the Pharisee. There's this story that the Gospel of Luke tells that says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. He ate with anybody that asked him. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and in, in quotations, uninvited. She crashed the party. As she stood behind him at, the, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Like, what need you have done to carry so much pain and brokenness that someone literally has to wipe their feet because you are crying so profusely? As she stood behind him at his feet, she wet his feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee who invited her saw this, he said to himself, what a beautiful act. This is, this is one of the most moving things I've seen in a long time. This woman is so broken that she comes to Jesus to find the offer of forgiveness that she takes this expensive perfume and just pours it. Oh my gosh, that's not what he said, right? He, he said, when the Pharisee who invited us saw this, he said to himself, so he's just thinking to himself, and this is the, the irony of the story. He's thinking, if this man were a prophet, 
he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. She is in the echelons of ancient um, society, an expendable. She is gutter trash. She's a whore. Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Well, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Denarii was roughly a day's wage for a, for a day labor. So someone owns, owes a couple months' salary. Another person owns well, owes well over a year. So Jesus said, neither of them had the money to pay it back. So he forgave their debts. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And he said, you have judged correctly. But you misjudged whether I'm a prophet or not. Because I'll tell you. He turned to the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What life and busyness in inertia or the lack of it and Satan and human sin does to us is it numbs us to the people around us. Just like this Pharisee, we get so wrapped up in doing church in our own lives and going through the motions sometimes that we forget why we're doing church in the first place. We forget who we're gathering for. And we forget, we forget the power of what happens when we fully engage in that. The problem is that when we look around, we see people, but we don't see people. We see masses of people that are going throughout the day. We don't see what they're carrying. We don't see their lack of salvation outside of Jesus. We don't see the pain and the brokenness that they're carrying. I want you to look at this Instagram account of Louise Delange, and I want you to tell me if you see initially, in the first 10 seconds, any difference from her and every other person that you follow on Instagram. Take a look. On the 1st of August 2016, Louise Delage appeared on Instagram. Like with any other user, her life looked perfect and carefree. Her account gained a lot of organic followers by using growth hacking actionable techniques, including trending thematic hashtags, key opinion leaders, and automated bots. In seven weeks, her photos and videos had over 50,000 likes, but her followers missed the most important thing until her last post. came out, were shocked, became a trending. 
hashtag. How many of us just go through our faith and the very people that Jesus died for and that he loves and that are broken and are hurting, we just miss it. We're in the middle of a series called Classic. We're using classic rock songs to springboard us into a conversation about what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, and particularly how disciples approach money. Last week we talked about how Jesus taught the disciples of Jesus, the starting point for disciples of Jesus, in order to appropriately approach and handle money, disciples of Jesus need to get rid of all unnecessary possessions. If you weren't here last week, we talked about how Jesus said, do not store up on earth, on possessions on earth. And we talked about how that, he meant that literally. It wasn't like a, a suggestion that his followers, the people that are going to claim to be his disciples, one of the things that kickstarts our sense of our connectedness to God and our willingness and our love of God is that we divest ourselves of all unnecessary possessions. Now, it's a, it's a great question. What is necessary for you may not be necessary for someone else. And so Jesus didn't say the salary threshold for everyone is this, the size of the house is this, the number of... He didn't go do that at all. For each person, it's a decision. But we talked about last week is that you cannot serve two masters. What the NIV translators are doing, they're avoiding, when they're translating that verse, they're avoiding the harshness of what Jesus was saying with his teachings. R.T. France, New Testament scholar, translates it better when he says no one can be the slave of two owners. Now the NIV translators are trying not to offend those of you who are black or those of you that come from a country where slavery is prevalent. But what it does is it robs the power of what Jesus was saying because in the first century, everybody understood what it meant to be a slave. To be a slave, you have no rights at all. And the scary thing is that in the 21st century, people are slaves to money, and they don't even, they're not even aware of it. When you're a slave to money, money has its own agenda. Its agenda is indebtedness. Its agenda is anxiety. Its agenda is more and more and more, avarice, greed. But when we become a slave to God, which was one of the Apostle Paul's favorite ways of describing himself, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. When we become a slave of Christ Jesus, what happens is we, become, we begin controlling and wanting the things and seeing the people that Jesus sees. And so Jesus said the first thing that we have to do to kickstart this idea of divorcing ourselves, of not being a slave to two owners anymore, I am numb, breaking off my slavery to money, and I know I'm going to be a slavery to God, is to start giving stuff away. So my question is, this past week, for those of you who were here last week, did you give anything away? Don't raise your hand. But did you give anything away? And so if you didn't, Why? Why didn't you do that? Because Jesus said to do that. As John the Baptist says, those of you who have two coats should give one to the person that has none. And so one of the joys of being a disciple is that we say, I'm going to do this. I'm actually going to do this. But the other thing is, okay, but after you get to the point where you don't have any unnecessary 
possessions or expenses in your life anymore. What's the next thing? And the next thing is what happens in the very next passage from the story of the woman with the alabaster jar. The very next chapter begins, Luke chapter 8 says this, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another. Can I just stop for a second? When I asked you this question, for those of you who didn't do that, when I asked why, I'm not asking this from a sense of like guilt or shame. It's the reason he tells us to not store possessions on earth is because every moment that we keep them, we are further enslaved to money and its agenda. It keeps us from the freedom and the joy and the power that comes from only being a slave to God. And so I don't want to shame you. I don't want to in any way, shape, or form to have you feel any sense of shame, but I want you to feel like the sense of, I can do this. There is, there's, there's freedom and liberation that comes. When you are owned by possessions, you are not owned by God. And as you give them away, you're chipping away at the slavery to money. So anyway, the next chapter, chapter 8, begins this in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around from town to town, and this is what New Testament scholars will call just a summary statement. Luke is basically telling the story of this woman with the alabaster jar, then he's getting ready to tell another story. And what we do is we'll gloss right over these verses, and there's some really cool stuff in here. It says, as he traveled around from town to town, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their means. Now, there are a few things I want to point out that we miss over. We just don't see it as 21st century Americans. The first is this. Jesus included women in his group of disciples. We forget how radical this is. Undoubtedly, as you read through this, you're asking the question, well, why weren't there women in the apostles? And in the first century, everybody's asking, why did he have women among his disciples? What an absolute, utter shame and disgrace to do that. Now, in the first century, uh, women were considered property. Don't just like don't covet after another person's wife in the same way you're not going to cuddle or co- cuddle with. <laughs> you're not going to covet after uh, 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 your 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 neighbor's cow or something like that. Uh, it was a patriarchal society, and um, by any ind- indication from the second and third century rabbis, where we have teachings that go back to the time of Jesus. It would be considered a great shame for someone that was a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus, to be having conversations out in the open and public with women because it would seem very, like, licentious, very uh, flirtatious. It was just inappropriate. And Jesus said, well, I got news for you. Uh, Y'all going to hell anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I'm going to have women among my band, period. And so these women... Um, uh, served a powerful role in the ministry of Jesus. And I just want you to, for those of you who are hung up over the fact that women were not apostles, I want you to, to imagine that we're going to start a church in Saudi Arabia. 
And we have a staff where we're going to have five people, but there's going to be a group of, let's say, 30 that we're sending over. Would it be smart if we're starting a church in Saudi Arabia and we're sending a group of people over from here to have a, a female senior pastor? Why? How about female teaching pastors? By having women in these core positions, it would stop our ability to actually get into the community to start the church. Not only would they risk their lives, but it just would be an ex- a poor expenditure of time and resources. And that's why Jesus did that. The second thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus impacted people at all levels of society. Like Mary, for instance, uh, this woman from Magdala, she was a, uh, this little town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee who was a demon-possessed person. She was on the lower echelon. She was an expendable in the first century. But there was this other woman at lists, Joanna, the wife of Chizza, who is the manager of Herod's household. Herod was Herod Antipas, who was the ruler in that area who had a huge estate and a lot of money and a lot of people to manage. And her husband was at the very top of the echelon of their society at the time. So very early in Jesus' ministry, he had, in his band of followers, people at the bottom of society and people at the top of society. But what were these women doing? These women, the third thing I want to show out of this is that the women gave out of gratitude for what Jesus had done for them. Because of the way that Jesus had changed their lives, they just naturally, it says in Luke 8, 3, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. They served, they made meals, they carried things, they delivered messages, they prayed for people in the crowds, They taught people Jesus' teachings. Undoubtedly, they wrote down Jesus' teachings. Um, Anytime, for instance, in the New Testament, like the book of Hebrews, there's no title in the book of Hebrews. There's There's a high likelihood that that book was written by a woman. It was just, it would be shameful for they did, that book would go nowhere if it would have said, um, uh, this is written by this person. So that's why it's just left with no name. The Gospels don't have any names attached to them. We know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke look very similar. They're called the synoptic Gospels. We know that probably what happened is that Matthew and Luke used Mark as a reference guide and included his material because they wanted to be very careful. But there was another document that scholars believe is a separate teaching that has material that's in Matthew and Luke, but is not included in Mark. Scholars will call that Q, which is uh, German for quell, which is source. It's a high likelihood if that document actually existed as an actual document, which it could, it could not. Maybe it was written by a woman. Maybe it was included, as Luke says in the beginning of his gospel, that I'm using this source and this source and this source and this source because Luke is a man in that culture. And the women, they're recording his teachings as well. Jesus' message had impact because these women gave of their time, they gave of their talents, and they gave their money. They gave their money and their all 
out of gratitude. Now, I want you to make a list of the reasons you're thankful for Jesus. I want you to imagine that you're that woman with an alabaster jar of perfume going around and following Jesus. What sin did you commit before you met Jesus that you're ashamed of when you think of it? What skeletons from your past did Jesus wipe away and forgive completely and totally? How would you have ended up and in what direction would you have gone if he hadn't stepped into your life? Since meeting Jesus, what has Jesus gotten you through? What do you think he's going to continue to get you through? What problems have you encountered and overcome with his help? What struggles have you had and gotten through? Finally, how have you seen God use you like these women to introduce people to Jesus? That people have come to know him through you. How have their lives changed just like the lives of these women and the woman that was with the alabaster jar? I was a pagan in high school. I was no different than any of the other guys who were seniors at high school right now, athletes at Springford High School. Um, I remember when I was in ninth grade, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I was going to go and get a baseball scholarship. I was then going to go on to law school and international law, and then I was going to become insanely rich after a baseball career. And it all ended in ninth grade with my stupid friend, Darren Bricky. Darren came and sat at our table. I don't know if high school is different today than it was then, but there are certain tables that you go and you sit at. And I sat at the popular, athlete, good family table. And uh, my friend Darren uh, took his tray and then sat down that particular day at that table. And everyone was like, hey, wait a minute, we, we don't do this. We don't, we're, what, we don't do this. And then he started talking, and then he looked at me and said, Brian, are you a Christian? I kid you not. Brian, are you a Christian? And I'm like, well, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church. I was like, this is weird. What are you doing? Why are, what are, you, why are you even here? What? What? Of course I'm a Christian. And he said, I didn't ask you. I said, I'm a Christian. I go to church. He said, and I, ask you if you, I didn't ask you if you go to church. I asked you if you were Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a car makes you a garage. Or and sitting in a garage makes you a car, he said. <laughs> Sorry, Darren, I messed up your line, man. It worked for me. So I, I totally blew him off. The next day he came and he sat down. The next day he came and he sat down. Over the next four years, my friend Darren rubbed shoulders with me, and he was constantly, constantly in my face in a loving way. When everybody else was gone, he was there for me. I remember I'm a senior in high school. We're warming up for baseball. All nine of my friends are going to different uh, schools for different sports and stuff. And I remember Pat Johnson saying, I hate Darren. I hate being around him. I hate whenever he sits down and talks. And I'm going to cuss, okay? But he's like, because he always scares the hell out of me. What, what, why does he always do that? Why is he always talking about God and Jesus and hell and stuff? It just freaks me out, man. I'm glad he did that for me for four years. Because when I graduated, I gave back my scholarship and my life completely changed. I remember standing in the shower listening to a song. I want to tell you, for those of you who have become Christians lately, you are so fortunate 
because there's Christian music that you actually can listen to. Back in the 80s, there was nothing, man. For those of you who were old enough, Petra. Woohoo! Yes! Petra, that was it. There was a singer named Don Francisco, and he was singing the song I had never heard of. He was telling this story about this woman that was the town whore, and she heard that Jesus was spending the night at a dinner party with this very popular religious teacher, and she was so broken that she went through the door straight to Jesus and collapsed and cried at his feet, ashamedly wiping his feet off with her hair and her tears. It was a complete mess. But she took the only thing she had, this jar of expensive perfume, and just doused his feet with it. Over a year's worth of wages, just doused it out of gratitude. And as Don Francisco is singing the song, it says, it's a cheesy song, but I'm in the shower. I will never forget this. Your sins were red as scarlet, but now they're washed away. The love and faith you've shown is all the price you pay for the depth of God's forgiveness is deeper than the sea. And no matter what the world may think of you, you're beautiful to me. I will never forget just standing in the shower and weeping, weeping at just this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thankfulness for what God had done for me and saving me and forgiving me and giving me a a mission in life. That's why these women gave. They didn't give because they had to. They gave because they wanted to. No one could have stopped them from giving. Now, I believe that the Bible teaches this thing called tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your income. I don't believe it in the sense like it's the Old Testament law. We ought to do that. But it has always been this general principle in the community of faith that how much should I give? It's a general understanding that that's a mark to shoot for. Not in a legalistic way, but in just a general sense of teaching throughout church history and beginning even before Moses. The problem with this idea is that Americans don't think in percentages. We think in terms of monthly payments. Just a fact. We don't think in terms of percentages. We think in terms of monthly payments. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list average monthly payments that people make in this room, and I want you to ask yourself the question as I read that, is Jesus more important to me than that payment. So average cell phone is $80 a month individually, up to $250 for a family, unless you go with the Verizon family share plan, and then you can get it down a little bit more. I I actually advise that you call them up once a year and tell them you're going to leave, and they'll give you a better price. I digress. I'll keep going. (laughs) Cable and internet, $150 to $225 per family. You might have a little bit more. You might have a little bit less. Uh, electric bill, if you're doing really, really, really good. This doesn't include your gas and that sort of thing. 183 a month. New car average this year, 2018, 515 a month. Mortgage between 2,100 to up to 4,000 or more in this area. My question is, to you personally, is Jesus more important than your cell phone bill? If he is, I want to ask, this past month, did you give to him to extend his ministry for us to partner together? 
as much as you paid for your cell phone bill? How about your cable and your internet? What a disciple of Jesus does is they gives out of gratitude and says, I want to give more than my cell phone. I want to give more than my cable. And you keep going until Jesus is the biggest gift that you give every month. That's the intent behind what the Bible is teaching. Every single month, you're just getting closer and closer and closer until you're saying out of gratitude, just like I remember with my dad, I remember going in, our church used to give these little envelopes with numbers on them growing up as a kid. Did you grow up in churches like that? Everybody got a box, you got the box. And I remember he would put his check, fit his envelope, and put it on top of his old King James Bible. Believe this, King James, right, ready to go. So he was getting ready to teach Sunday school every single morning. I went in and I opened it up, and I thought I opened it up where I could close it back up. Didn't do very well. I opened it up and I saw what he was giving, and I asked my dad, why would you let them make you do that? And he said, son, first, that's between me and God. Don't you ever do that again. That is none of your business, what I give. But number two, no one's making me give anything. I get to do this. I want to do this. I'm so excited to be able to do this. I want to do this. I want the ushers to come down. They're going to um, hand out uh, these cards, okay? Our um, finance team has allowed me to issue a 90-day tithing challenge, okay? We're going to do this just a little bit differently this year. 90-day tithing challenge is this. I get it. First of all, I just want to say for those of you who are brand new today, this isn't for you. You're probably thinking, what the heck? Uh, This is not for you. This is for regulars here at the church, okay? If a card comes to you, just pass it on to the next person. No big deal. For those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, we're here. This is part of our church. The 90-day tithing challenge is this. If you commit to give 10% of your income over the next 90 days, I believe God is going to use that big step of faith on your part to change your life. And he's going to, just like those women, use it to extend Jesus' ministry. If at the end of 90 days, if you believe God has not blessed you, if God has not kept his word, all you have to do is request with our finance team a refund, and they will give you back every single thing that you gave during that 90 days. Not back to 2001, not anything more than you gave, but just that. And so what we're going to do right now is I want to give you an opportunity to check one of two boxes. One is, yeah, I'm all in. I want to do the 90-day tithing challenge, and you check that first box. The second box is you saying, I already give to God 10%, and I don't need to take a challenge. I'm going to do that. But I want to speak to those of you who are thinking, ain't no way in Hades I'm doing this. What I want you to do is I want you to fill out the card, and at the bottom, I just simply want you to write down cell phone payment. And I want you to circle it. And I just want you to say over the next 90 days, my, my best before God, I'm going to give what we give our cell phone payment. Electric payment, car payment, mortgage payment, whatever it is. Now, the 90-day timely challenge is just for those who are committing 10%, but I believe that if you do that, it's going to be a huge step for you. And so what we're going to do is I'm just going to take a moment right now. We're going to fill out these cards, and then we're going to fold them. And then as you go and when you leave today, this is only between you and God. Don't let anybody else see this. I want you to fold it, and I want you to drop it in the bowls. They'll go to Kevin, our executive pastor. 
who will send you an email tomorrow, very encouraging email, and then we'll go from there. So let's just fill these out right now. Will you, will you not drop your card like me? But will you take your card and just fold it and pray with me right now that God would take these gifts that we're giving and that we would change lives? God, we just are so thankful that you chose us and you've given us this ministry to participate as your disciples, to follow you, We want to give you our resources, just like these women. A little bit to a lot. Whatever it is, God, it's a lot to us. We just pray that as we put it into your hands, you would help, that you would help us reach as many people as possible in this area. Help us to make more and better disciples. Disciples who are not owned by money. We're not owned by money. If anything's going to own us, it's going to be you. Bless these commitments and these gifts. Help us to reach people like Mary and people like Susanna and everybody in between. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.